Well, good morning. We're the third week into a series looking at the book of Nehemiah. If you've missed any, I'd always encourage you uh, to to catch up because we speak in series. This is going to make more sense based on uh, recent weeks. But before we jump in, can I just share a few reflections uh, as as to what it might look like for us as a a church as we go on the journey of, of physically trying to regather together. The first is this, restrictions always bring redirection. Whilst there can be pain in the process of that, there can also be real gold in the journey. The pain of not being able to meet together has meant we've had to consider how we use our resources, what our capacity is, and how we best um, use and direct that. So we've, we've always sought to serve the city. I would say at times there will always be a cost to that, but that doesn't mean it's wrong. Would it be that our hearts and the posture of our hearts is always city-leaning and city-serving? You know, in discussion with the school that we used to meet in, there's there's many reasons and many complexities to it, but they'd rather not return or allow us to return to the school until restrictions are fully lifted. Um, it would be quite hard for them to accommodate us even overnight, even though they actually desperately want to because they've had to release staff and they're going to need to go through a period of retraining. Um, you could say, why don't we try other venues? And yes and no, actually. The, I mean, firstly, the facilities there are phenomenal and been such a provision for us, as is the location. There could be and there are other options, but of the 25 plus that we've tried and pushed the door on, most of them are either a straight no or places under exactly the same limitations and um, challenging factors that the school would also um, be offering to us. And I won't bore you with all the ins and outs of those details, but it kind of leaves us in an interesting place. Firstly, we don't really know exactly what this next month is going to look like. It may be that things lift as the government have suggested they might by the end of June. But but what if they don't? Well, if they do or they don't, um, regardless, the Lord has always given us a heart to be city-facing and city-leaning um, on, our, on our journey. So that that potentially will always come as a cost to us, but we long to meet. Of course we do. In July, we'll try a few things that we might be able to do around worship, and um, in June and July, we'll try and f- create a few points of connection for those that haven't yet met anyone else. I'd also say, though, a number of things are happening. Like small groups in various ways are meeting, and honestly, if you're if you're not in one, reach out to try and be part of that. Youth and kids actually they have a number of in person gatherings. People are meeting in small and settings. Come and come and join in. Come and find a relational point of connection. Then each Sunday morning, for those that feel able, we're continuing to serve the city by preparing four two two for all that's ahead. And you're most welcome to join us in person for that. But in terms of forcing the issue with gathering on Sundays as a church we're we're watching and discerning now it may all feel and sound nice seeing that others are meeting or could meet um, and if we had a venue could we now but if you actually dig under the surface I don't believe it's always quite as hope-filled or as relationally driven as as we would want it to be if we could you know the government have yet to respond to the request for clarification around worship and the wearing of face masks there still um, should be no conversation or interaction with anybody outside your immediate household or bubble even though bubbles actually make slightly less sense now than 
they did because of the changes that have just happened. But for those in other settings that we've seen that are desperate to come back, actually they found it, a number have found it a very deflating experience because it's reminded them of what they don't have or what you would hope would be an environment of worship becomes one of really quite micromanaging and policing. And we're seeing in other contexts that many um, who want to be back then go back, what actually happens is they find a very small group of people under very challenging circumstances get really quite worn out with something that is so far from what you would want it to be that you kind of have to ask yourself the question, why would we do it? Are we not better meeting online until we're better meeting in person? And regardless of all of those questions, one thing we'd always want to ask and pose is, well, what, what's the Lord saying? Well, we've always said, and I think some of you will have heard it before, we have four questions in mind. The first is we want to do this prayerfully. We want to be led by the Father. The second is we want to do it honourably. We want to do it in line with the movement, we're part of other churches in the city, but also in the relationships we have with others in the city, but also places like the school. And then we want to do it safely. We aren't going to put people in a place of harm. But then also we want to do it quickly. We, we don't want to drag this out over the long term. It's not good for us. It's not good for you. And it's not good for us as, as families, but as a church family. And what is interesting is really that in the last week or so, a number of prophetic words and pictures have kind of collided. Three people had virtually the same one. One said this, I had a picture of a bow and arrow, bow and arrow of a bow being drawn back and held in tension, waiting to be released and fired. Speaking of the church getting back together, replanting, repairing and preparing and for all that's to come. And also saying that it clearly has a large part, 422 has a large part in that. Another then also drawing on something that was said back in March, but also they were re-stirred for it, reminded of Psalm 18. It says this, He makes me as sure-footed as a deer, enabling me to stand on mountain heights. He trains my hand for battle, and he strengthens my arm to draw a bronze bow. Saying that there's a time of acceleration coming, but like the bending of a bow, it needs to be drawn back in order to gain momentum. You know, so much of what was said through that really resonates with us because it feels like the bow is drawn back. There is a day of acceleration when we will gather together as a community. But for now, we stand in the tension and we hold the tension, eyes fixed on Jesus, but hands and hearts serving each other and serving the church. This isn't a wasted time. This is a time to repair and prepare. And we want to continue with the priorities of serving the poor and allowing it to be sustainable for us as a church community and also the teams that we will build to facilitate it. I hope it's helpful just to briefly share that. But let me just jump into Nehemiah. You know, if I could outlay and outline the, the, the theme of Nehemiah, it would be um, really this, and I've said it before, that those who would love God and his kingdom would study the Bible and pray and do everything within them to advance the gospel, seeking to gather others to do the same. And in previous weeks, you may have noticed that I've got such a passionate overflow for this, but I just wanted to be clear about something. Just because as a church we hold a vision 
as a community and we dare to believe in something that could be far greater than we might naturally know in this city doesn't mean we have or we hold an arrogance for it. We're not trying to be a big influential church. We're just trying to be a desperately faithful to Jesus church. We're not trying to be something that we're not, but we do need to faithfully steward what we are. What, what, what would it be to be a desperately faithful to Jesus church? Will it be that it's made up of individuals that are desperately faithful to Jesus? People of his presence. That's the church we want to be. And we've looked so far in the context of Nehemiah at repairing and preparing. And so far we looked at two things. Week one was a vision to rebuild. The second week, last week, was a vision to restore. This week I want to look at a vision to remain. Actually saying a vision to remain doesn't quite hit the point of what I wanted to say, but I wanted it to begin with an R because it was rebuild, restore and now remain. But what is really interesting is is this really is about resisting. But a vision to resist didn't sound quite right, sounded a bit odd. But Nehemiah, when he's seeking to rebuild the wall, they're about to come under significant opposition. Opposition, resistance to all God has placed on your life is basically, I would say, a given. I always think opposition is coming. I just need to make sure it's not as a result of me. By that I mean that my actions, my insecurities, my sin, my relational interactions, my poor decisions, I've got to stop that and get that out of the way so that they don't cause it to be the opposition, that I'm not creating my own opposition. You know, do you remember last week I said in Nehemiah 2.18, they replied at once, yes, let's rebuild the wall. So they began the good work. We've got vision, unity, purpose, the releasing of God's promises, a people galvanised to actually act and do something about it and the challenges that they face. They're going to act and respond. That's all wrapped up in that verse and all that we've seen so far. And they reply, yes, all together, let's rebuild the wall. So they began the, the, the work. The next verse, not a few verses later, the very next verse the opposition comes. For a moment, just pretend I can pronounce the Hebrew names, but it says this. When the Sambalat, Tobiah and the Geshem, the Arab, heard of our plan, they scoffed contemptuously. What are you doing? Are you rebelling against the king? They asked. They scoffed. You know, before we dig in further, have you ever found at the door of your greatest encouragement, at the door of your greatest triumph, comes very quickly the greatest moment of deflation and the bubble can be burst. You know, you might go to a conference. I mean, I guess we all wish we could go for a conference right now. But you, you get topped up. Something of the law just falls on you. Encouragement comes on you. And the next day you find yourself wallowing in the pit of your repetitive sin. You're deeply encouraged. And 20 minutes later, someone says something that gets a hook in your heart and robs you of that moment or you find a deep sense of peace and over the next step you should take or whatever it might be and then the full force of so circumstantial or financial or relational challenge throws the whole thing up in the air the problem is less the problem is how we deal and respond to it because opposition will come and often it comes when you feel topped up 
you then find that there's a real turn moment and opposition rapidly comes. It says this, as they heard of our plan, they scoff contemptuously. What are you doing? Are you rebelling against the king? They asked. You know, in the place of faith and risk, when you step out for all that could be, in those moments when your footing isn't sure, it's in those moments that so often it seems that opposition comes when it senses the point of weakness to strike. As I read a moment ago, Psalm 18, he makes me as sure-footed as a deer, enabling me to stand on mountain heights. He trains my hand for battle. He strengthens my arm to draw a bronze bow. Who does? He does. He makes our footing sure, regardless of what we face. The context of what we're saying in, 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 and seeing in mocking Nehemiah is really fascinating because they insinuate that pursuing the kingdom of God could be received as rebellion against the reigning power on earth. They call it rebelling against the king. You know, for many years, we have lived in a time and a culture that is valued, at least on the surface, being a Christian country. And more and more, we live in a time and a culture that we interpret faithfulness to God and to Jesus as rebellion against the governing authorities and popular opinion. Do, do you find that? Do you see that? So so what do we do? When verse 20, Nehemiah boldly says, I replied, the God of heaven will help us succeed. We, his servants, will start rebuilding the wall. But you have no share, legal right or historic claim in Jerusalem. When Nehemiah says God will help us succeed, he uses the same word that we see in Psalm 1 verse 3 where it says, they are like trees planted along a riverbank bearing fruit each season. <coughs> Their leaves never wither and they prosper in all they do. It's the same word we find in Joshua 1 verse 8. Study this book of instruction continually. Meditate it on it day and night and be sure to obey everything written in it. Only then will you prosper and succeed in all you do. I love the connection in using the same word. And I think it shows us what Nehemiah fears. He fears God and God alone. He doesn't fear the king. He doesn't fear these insults that are coming at him, the opposition and resistance to all God wants to do in him and through him. He finds that his character has been made strong by reading the Bible. He's confident as he calls to God because he knows he'll do what he promised. And through his boldness and the blessing of seeing answered prayer that he's experienced previously, he makes himself and he stands as a very powerful leader for God's people and a remarkably inspiring model for us. What I think Nehemiah shows and reflects to us is that the truth and the beauty on display in the gospel is worth more than any petty cause, more than any personal luxury we might want or find, or more than anything else in our lives. Some of the questions that I ask regarding this passage are this. How did, how did Nehemiah become a person so concerned about Jerusalem? Father, would you break into my heart? Would you break into our hearts for this city, for the pains of it, for the injustices we see in it? Lead me and lead us into action for it. And let nothing and no one rise in opposition 
that would cause us to be diluted in doing that? How do we increase our personal investment? Well, it says this in the passage, they were applied at once. Yes, let's rebuild the wall. So they began the good work. What does it look like for me to say, I'm in? What does it look like for you to say, I'm in? You know what? Things in our lives should concern us more than they do. Nehemiah left the Persian palace and all of its comfort in the face of great opposition to advance the kingdom of God. And I'm asking myself, well, what's the Persian palace? Because that's going to be part of my opposition that I might find. What aspects of staying that palace, staying in that palace are tempting me? And how can I wrestle that enticement into its proper perspective? What pride, money, lifestyle, time, friendship group, whatever it might be, I'd rather hang out with, with, with you than them. Oh, I'd rather be in a more comfortable area than there. That, you know, the truth and the beauty on display in the gospel is worth more than the petty cause, more than the, 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 the personal luxury, more than anything else in our lives, more than the pain of the opposition that we might face. If we're going to live for something more than a trivial agenda or more than to make our own name great, we must be convinced of the truth of the goodness and the beauty of God in displaying the gospel of Jesus and the advance of it in the work of the church. If we're going to sacrifice personal luxuries and advances in order to live out the gospel and see it advance in the church, we must not only see but experience the truth and the goodness and the beauty of God in displaying the gospel and advanced in the work of the church and we lay our lives down for it. Nehemiah was a student of the Bible. He was a warrior in prayer. He had a love for God and his people and he sought the good of God's people at great risk and great cost to himself and he showed a boldness and a courage in protecting God's people and he trusted God seeking out the prosperity of the city someone who lived for the high cause of the kingdom of God and I say to all of us surely that's the people that we want to be and we can learn lessons from his life. We study the Bible, we pray and we lay, we lay down our life for Christ, his church and his cause. Will you face opposition in that? Yes, of course you will. But my burning desire is that I'm not the opposition, that I don't lack insight and awareness, that I don't fail to see that I could act and respond in a way that might limit what God might want to do. Let me just give you an example. Sometimes opposition can come from sources you might not expect. John Wesley's diary says this, Sunday morning, the 5th of May in the late 1700s, I preached at St Anne's. I was asked not to come back anymore. You know, on Sunday, the PM on the 5th of May preached at St. John's. The deacon said, I quote, get out and stay out. Sunday AM, the 12th of May, preached at St. Jude's. Can't go back there either, he said. PM on Sunday, May the 12th, I preached at St. George's. I was kicked out again. Sunday AM, May the 19th, preached at somebody else's. I love how he says somebody else's. Didn't even say where it was. The deacons called a special meeting and said I couldn't return. Sunday PM, 
May the 19th, I preached on the street. I was kicked off the street. Sunday a.m., May the 26th, preached in a meadow. Chased out of the meadow as a bull was turned loose during the service. We never quite had anything like that. Sunday a.m. on the 2nd of June, I preached at the edge of town and I was kicked off the highway. Sunday p.m. 2nd of June in the afternoon service, I preached in a pasture to 10,000 people who came to hear the gospel. Phenomenal. Sometimes the things we see as failure, sometimes the breakdown, the resistance or the opposition, the scoffing, the mocking, the ridicule, the humiliation, the, you know, you're the only one seeking to share your faith in your workplace or among your family, the thing you think that could or would discredit and limit you, the thing that you would see as failure or opposition can be part of a step towards the breakthrough. Nehemiah 4.1, Sambalat was very angry and he learned that we were rebuilding the wall. He flew into a rage and he mocked the Jews. Why are you rebuilding the walls? Why, why did rebuilding the walls make them so angry? Well, if Nehemiah succeeds in his God-given agenda, Sambalat's own agenda is going to be thwarted. Rebuilding the walls will create a safe, player, safe place for the welfare of the sons of of Israel, yet Sambalat sought to exploit the weakness and the vulnerabilities of the Israelites for his own profit. The two, the two agendas can't be reconciled, and there is a powerful challenge in this for us. Are we more concerned about ourselves or about others? Do we rejoice in the exploitation of other people, finding pleasure in benefiting from the misuse and the abuse of another person? Of course we'd say, no, we don't. But often as we scratch under the surface, you know what what a, what a cheap joke can do, what gossip can do, what speaking ill of others can do. We have to recognise that taking from another, whether that be a toy because we're bigger and stronger, be it benefiting from somebody else's financial ignorance or need, by stealing a sexual pleasure because of moral weakness, or by ex exalting ourselves over and above others who are disadvantaged. Stolen pleasures may, may taste sweet to the mouth, but they will turn in the stomach. Not only do Sambalot and Tobiah seek pleasure at the expense of the Jews, being angered by the good being done to the Jews, they wanted to exploit them. They wanted to go further. They sought to maintain their advantage by bullying them. How do we know that? We see it in the passage. Chapter 4, verse 2, saying in front of his friends and the Sumerian army office army officers what does this bunch of poor feeble jews think they're doing do they think they can rebuild the wall in a single day just by offering a few sacrifices do they actually think they can make something of stones from a rubbish heap and charred ones at that it goes on and on nehemiah responded to the mockers not but, but he responded to the mockers but not their mocking I love that. I think it's crucial. Rather than speak to them, he speaks to God and he continues the work. 
crucial part, he continues the work. In the face of opposition, he continues the work. Verse 6, at last the wall was completed to half its height around the entire city for the people had worked with enthusiasm. He speaks to God and he keeps going with enthusiasm. Are you under assault? Can I ask you, you that personally? Speak to God and keep going. What if it gets worse? Well, it did in verse 8. When they heard that the work was going ahead and the gaps in the wall of Jerusalem were being repaired, they were furious. They all made plans to come and fight against Jerusalem and throw us into confusion. Verse 8, they prayed to God and they increased the God and they kept going. But we prayed to our God and the God and guarded the city day and night to protect ourselves. That's what it says. What God has planned for you is way better than and way greater than anything you can accomplish on your own. Even when the opposition seems too much and starts to wear and grind you down. Says verse 10, the people of Judah began to complain. The workers are getting tired. There's too much rubble to be moved. We, we, we will never be able to build the wall by ourselves. You know, if you're getting isolated, if this season is wearing you down, if emotionally, spiritually and physically you're getting picked off, if your circumstances, the assault and the barrage is just beginning to become too much, if you can't see a way out or a way back, don't make your calculation based on the size of the enemy. Make your calculation based on the size of God. If there's things in your life that you fear, take action. Are there doubts lurking in your mind about your ability to do what God has called you to do? Take your eyes off your inability and place them on the one for whom nothing is impossible. As you contemplate the greatness of God... That's what we've got to do. When you face opposition, contemplate the greatness of God, then do the next thing. Look at the weak points and reinforce them. And when we do that, recognise that you need armed defenders. That's what Nehemiah did. When the mind starts to cause me to pull up a relational drawbridge, you know, to back off from gathered community, to think that I can do it alone, to think that I don't need others or a small group environment, big red flashing lights. That's what needs to happen and that's what needs to be. It says this, verse, verse 15. It says, When our enemies heard that we knew of their plans and that God had frustrated them, we all returned to our work on the wall. But from then on, we've got to learn lessons from opposition and what we go through. Experience doesn't change us unless we choose to learn from it. From this season, would we learn from it and would we apply it? It says, but from then on. Only half of the men worked while the other half stood guard with spears, shield, bows and coats of mail. The leaders stationed themselves behind the people of Judah who were building the wall. The labourers carried on their work with one hand supporting their load and one hand holding a weapon. All the builders had a sword belted to their side. The trumpeters stayed with me to sound the alarm. Don't stop building the wall. Don't stop involving yourself in the lives of others. Don't stop being a disciple and discipling others. Don't let him pick you off into isolation, pain, bitterness and resentment. Don't let him pick you off. Don't get caught up in jealousy, financial mismanagement, squabbling, pornography, whatever it is, however he seeks to bring opposition at you and to, to pick you off. Pray to God and keep going. 
stand on guard with spears, shield and bows. That's what they did. And station others alongside you. That's what they did. Don't do this alone. Don't live your faith journey out alone. You will get picked off. Station others alongside you. That's why we form in groups, small groups, accountability groups, people alongside you to champion and cheer you on. The labourers carried on their work with one hand supporting their load and one hand holding a weapon, prayer, Bible, small group, serve the city. That's the rhythm of life. Prayer, Bible, small group, serve the city. You know, the trumpeter stayed with me to sound the alarm. What does that mean? Well, I, I say to Steph and others regularly, sound the alarm. Honestly, sound the alarm. When you see danger or opposition, sound the alarm for me. When I'm grumpy, when I'm short with people, when I'm lacking in generosity, when I'm uninterruptible, when I'm snappy with the kids, when the opposition is robbing me of joy and stopping me breathing life and breathing life into others, when I'm more consumed with the league table or washing my car or a DIY project or, or finishing a series on TV, then I am with the people of God, the purposes of God and all he has for us in this church and this city sound the alarm. If I'm not seeking to relate to my neighbours or the people up the street because I'm so consumed with my life and my needs, sound the alarm. You know, if I'm starting to say things like the workers are getting tired and there's too much rubble to be moved, we'll never be able to build the wall by ourselves, sound the alarm. Because my cup is more, I'm seeing it as half empty rather than half full. If that's my mindset and my attitude, sound the alarm. First six, would it be that we work with enthusiasm for all the Lord has called us to do? That we would live for a cause greater than ourselves, that we would lay down our lives for those that we love, that we would fix our eyes on Jesus and be led by his example and therefore lead by example. What enables us to do that? It's by experiencing God's truth, goodness and beauty that is supremely displayed in the gospel. The God, the sorry, the people of God seeking the presence of God in the face of Jesus. Then whatever the resistance, whenever or whenever the opposition comes, we seek him and we keep rebuilding the wall. Let that be an encouragement over you today. Keep rebuilding the wall. Whatever opposition comes or you face, keep rebuilding the wall. I trust and I hope that's of encouragement to you let's let's just pray let's just have a moment spirit of the living god fall upon us i pray lord some of some of us this this morning whenever you're listening to this there will have been opposition there will have been resistance you will have found oppression burdens anxieties troubles circumstantial financial lack of sleep family dynamics prodigals gone astray Neighbours who treat you unfairly or badly. Employers who have trodden on your heart and your spirit. People who have spoken things over you. Marital tensions, ill health in your life. Challenges with your children. Whatever whatever it is, whatever you have faced. Just, just even um, things that have bombarded your mind to pull you away, where things you've even done that you've stepped into and walked into, things that you regret, 
or you now feel trapped and burdened and are captive to. Will Spirit of the living God come and bring freedom upon us because you came to release the, the captives, to set the oppressed free, to claim the day of the Lord's favour, where the Spirit of God is, the Spirit of truth is, there is freedom. Lord, bring that freedom upon us and to us afresh today. Lord, break the chains that bind. We say no more. Release us into the fullness of all you have for us. Lord, that we would work with enthusiasm to all that you've called us to, that we wouldn't be distracted or neglect the work, that we would increase the resolve, that we would rebuild the walls where they lay in tatters or in ruin. Lord, fall on us. I pray, fall on us. Come, Holy Spirit. Let there be God moments, God dreams, God visions. Lord, where we've tired, infuse us again. Infuse us again, Lord. Spirit of the living God. I, I encourage you now, lay, lay, lay it before him. All that it is, whatever it is, lay it before him. Fall to your knees before the living God. Lord, speak hope and truth to us this morning. Some of you, I just feel like that. You know, the trumpeter sounded. Some of you, the alarm sounding that you know you're drifting, that you'll know that your your footing isn't sure. Just before him, allow the gentleness, the closeness and the comfort, the spirit of God to break into your life afresh, where, where you've built up a wall of resistance and hardness of heart let him break in again i pray that over you there'll be many other things i believe he wants to do i know for me personally stirs something deeply in my spirit in this series and i believe and i trust he will have for others not because of me but because that's what he does he speaks to us through his word let him in and let others in on that journey and in that place alongside you Reach out to somebody this morning, but stay in a place of just receiving of the Spirit of God. We bless you. We'll leave you just with some gentle music playing. Thank you for joining us again.